Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good. All right. Well, hey, I just want to make a special announcement about services coming up the next eight weeks. Um, this isn't our big announcement. That will be at the end. But the Chosen series is an in-person only series. And so because of copyright things, we have permission to air it here in the service, but we cannot air these services online. So for the next eight weeks, I would encourage you to make every effort to be here either on Saturday night or Sunday morning to be a part of what God is doing. Honestly, this is one of our favorite series as a church. A lot of our small groups will be built around this series, and uh, we ordered some study guides for you guys as well that will be available next week um, in the main auditorium or in the main lobby. So please, please, please come and be a part of this. I really believe God's going to speak to you in a big way through this series. He always does to me. And so would you join me in praying this morning as we prepare to finish up and, and nail down this series on home. So pray with me now. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word and your truth. And God, today we ask in this place that you reign supreme. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds today, that our lives would be transformed by the hope of the gospel. And Lord, we would do everything that we can to help bring you to people and people to you. So Lord, be in this place with us today as we talk through life. God, we love you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So have you ever felt like life is crashing in? That on every corner and every way that it is pressing in on you and you feel like you may be crushed. I don't know about you, but I had kind of that week this week. It just seemed like there were things coming from every direction and that life was getting very tight and it felt like it was a crazy time. And we know this, we have a big announcement this week about what God is doing here at Bedrock. And whenever you're going to do something for God, you can expect resistance. We call it predictable resistance, right? That the enemy is dead set against what God is doing here at Bedrock. And so how do you survive the crushing? How do you deal with when your life feels like it's closing in and, and things are hard? How do we deal with that? That's what we're going to look at today. And the honest to God truth is, is that if we're going to survive the pressing and the crushing, we have to have an incredible spiritual life. Last week, we talked about building a physical home, which is incredible and good and important. But you and I all know that we need to grow and build our spiritual life. And so that's what we're going to deal with this week. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Israel for the first time. And if you've never been there, it's a different place and they face a different set of problems than many of us face as a country. And so we were in Jerusalem and it was our first night in Jerusalem. And at the hotels, you eat dinner and breakfast at these hotels. And the food is unbelievable. The spread that they put out is, is immaculate. It's not like breakfast here. I know you go to a holiday and they go, I, we got a continental breakfast. When your eggs are dripping with water, I don't think we're exactly continental at that point, right? But in Israel, you, you do eat, and it's, it's unbelievable, the breakfast that they put out. But as I was walking down, normally the breakfast spot is in the basement or near the lowest level of the hotel. And I walked down for the first night to go to dinner, and I, I can go right and go to like the breakfast, and I can go to dinner and be there. And then to the left, there is a huge door that's probably a foot wide uh, in depth, 
and it says bomb shelter. And all of the hotels in Israel and many of the places in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv have bomb shelters, right? They have places where you can go that you can be safe, right? They face a different problem than us. And the reality is, is every Israeli in these major cities is supposed to be within four minutes of a bomb shelter. So, I mean, you can drive through mountains on highways and there's doors off of the the tunnel going through the mountain and those are bomb shelters. And what Israel realized is it's better to be prepared for the crushing than it is to try to get out of the way of the crushing. And for so many of us, I have this question for us is, as we talk about building a spiritual home, do you have a place in your home spiritually that can survive the crushing of life? That can deal with the pressing in and deal with the questions and the doubt and the disappointment and the hurt and the anger. Do you have a place in your home that can survive this spiritually? Right? Because we don't want to be the kind of people that life gets really hard and all of a sudden we don't know what to do or where to go. That we are prepared just like in Israel they are. Everyone knows where their local shelter is. Everyone knows where they can go to be safe. Everyone can be in a place where they can find safety in some of the most devastating and hardest moments of life. And so when we're going to talk about building a spiritual home, a lot of us are going to talk about the good life. And then what we talk about with these these moments of of pressing and crushing is that's not the good life. I don't know anybody who really enjoys the pressing and the crushing. Like, I don't know anyone who goes, man, I'm looking for that. I can't wait to get that terrible news. I can't wait for that thing in my past to remind me of something. I can't wait for things to go wrong or money to run out. No one wants that. And so the reality is, is for you and I, if we're going to build this spiritual home, the very first thing that we need to build is what we call the good life. The good life is found in Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, open up and I'm going to describe to you what the good life is. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here's what I want us to realize as we look into this, that the good life is something that we all desire. I mean, doesn't that sound good? Goodness, kindness, grace, mercy, peace, forbearance, gentleness, self-control. I mean, that sounds good. But you know what's crazy about this message that I think is so beautiful is that when you're trying to build the good life, you're also preparing for the bad life. When you really push into your life and you want the fruit of the spirit in your life, then you're also beginning to create for you a hedge of protection for when things get bad. And you know, we all talk about this, that we we kind of want the good life by just being in proximity. Like some of us think like if you just put this book on every bookshelf in your house and and like there's one by your bed and there's one in your car and there's a cross in your car that man, you're going to be protected for the good life. But the problem is, is this book needs to be read and applied. It doesn't do much just sitting on the shelf. And so what happens for you and I is the good life is something that needs to be built. 
It needs to be developed within our own heart, within our own life. And the way that we do that is through the word by the power of the spirit. And so what happens for a lot of us is, is we get into life and we go, man, why don't I just have this incredibly good life? Why am I not experiencing all of these things? But have you developed that in your life? You know, uh, as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about fruit trees because the fruits of the spirit. See, the fruit is the outworking and the product of everything else that has been put in. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of tilling. There's a lot of refining. There's a lot of pruning. There's a lot of sunlight and water that's needed to produce fruit. In fact, uh, uh, I was looking at, um, I think I was at Home Depot or something like that the other day, and I was walking through the plant aisles and sections looking at things, and there in the plant section were these little lemon trees. I mean, they're, like, they're really lemon twigs, I would say that, right? Like, there's not a lot to these things, but they're in this little bucket, and they're, they're you know, about this tall. And you know what's crazy about those trees is they have every potential to become the biggest and the greatest and the best lemon trees in the world. But if they stay in that bucket, they'll never become what they're supposed to be. They have all of the potential, but you've got to put it in the right environment. You've got to build it in the right place. You've got to take it out of that little container so it can grow. You have to fertilize it. You have to feed it. You have to water it. You have to put it in sun and then the fruit comes. But everything else has to be prepared and ready to go. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done before you get to enjoy the fruit of what is to come. And so I don't know about where you are in your life right now, but the Christian life is not a life that happens by accident. That it takes intentional work and effort with us participating with God in this life to grow. To, to find a place where we can be safe and to build this spiritual home for ourselves. And I I want you guys to think about it because I'll I'll tell you when the pressing comes in, that's a really good motivator in life, right? I mean, when, when things get hard, when money is running tight, when there's conflict in relationships, when all of these things are happening, those can become a catalyst for us to move forward, right? How many of you, you, if something goes bad in your life and for a day or two, you're depressed or a week or whatever, but then that becomes motivation for you to move forward. I'm going to figure out my health. I'm going to figure out my finances. I'm going to figure out my relationships. But in the reality of things is you know, there's no messages in life that I've heard a lot of about how to live on the mountaintop. We always talk about how to live in the valley or how do we start heading uphill. But the reality is, is no one talks about how do you actually live at the mountaintop? How do you, how do you sustain that in your life and how do you grow into those things? And so when we talk about building a spiritual home, we're going to need to be participants. Right, Because you don't just learn the Bible because you just put your hand on it or put the book to your head and go, okay, just give me everything. <laughs> I was watching this uh, video of this kid, um, and he's like in this class trying to learn. And so the kid was going like this to the book. And I was like, you're doing something. I don't know if it's doing anything. If I was the teacher, I'd be like, we got a problem. Right? Like... This kid's just scooping up something and pouring it on his head. And so as we embark on this time together, I want us to think about 
growing the good life, but when we grow the good life, it prepares us for the hard life. And maybe you're in this room right now, and you're like, you know what? I'm good. Actually, things are all good. Like, finances are good. My relationships are good. My kids are doing great. My business is doing well. I'm attending church regularly. I'm studying the word. Life is good. Then this message is for you too. Because the reality is, is your life may be great, but you probably know someone whose life isn't. You probably know someone in your circle of friends and family that's life is really tough right now. And let me just tell you, the one thing about mountaintops is there's always another mountain to get to, but to get to that mountaintop, you have to go into the valley. And that's part of this Christian life. You know, it's incredible that the Christian life will never be a life that is absence of suffering. It's going to be part of this life because there is a refining and a pressing and, and a work that is produced in our lives when we go through these moments and, and we can really begin to develop a life that is so ready to deal with the crushing that you just go to the bomb shelter and you're good to go. And you find peace and you find presence and in that moment you're okay. But I don't know about you, but like when I hear about the good life and all of the work that is required to produce that life, it gets a little daunting, does it not? It kind of feels like at some point, like you're, you're on your own. But here's the first piece of good news today. One, the good life is for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ in this room, Galatians chapter 5 is for you. You're actually created for Galatians chapter 5. You were made to live in the good life. The good life is what we would see in a place called Eden in the book of Genesis. That is the good life. And that is exactly what you and I are created for and created to walk into as believers in Jesus Christ. So the good thing is, is you're made to do that. You're, you're made to walk into that. But the reality is, is this world and the things that we are going through and our sin nature make it a bit difficult. But here is incredible news. And it's this, God has given us everything that we need to build this house. God has supplied every single thing that we need to partner with God to build the house. And I don't want us to be confused. We do very little work, but we do participate. That the good life doesn't just happen to us, that it's something that we have to fight for and work for. But thanks be to God that he works harder and does more than we could ever do. And that you're not alone. Look at what the Bible says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power, his ability, his call on our lives has given us everything that we need to get through this. Verse 4, through these he has given us a very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. What does that mean? That does not mean that we all become gods. That's a different religion. But when we talk about the divine nature, we're looking back at Galatians 5 and going, oh, that's what the goodness of God produces in our life. And you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, because we're empowered by divine power, can participate in that life because we're made for it. We can be a part of that and have a part of that in your life. And so if you're in this room right now and you're going through one of the hardest moments you've ever been in in your life, you can believe the lie that this is the way it's going to be forever and this is what you deserve. 
And this is like going to be your life forever. And that's not true. Look at what he says as he continues. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter is looking at a group of believers and he says to them, look, God in his divine power has given you everything that you need in him to live this incredibly good life. To live a life that Galatians 5 describes that because of the way that you participate with the spirit of God in the word of God and the way that you cultivate your life and the decisions that you make according to the priorities of God in his word, that this fruit which will be produced is good fruit in your life. And so let me just ask everyone in here, is that the life that you want, but maybe you feel like you don't deserve? Because a lot of us, like, I know, the worst voice in your head is the one in your head, right? Like, that's the one speaking to you most. It's not everyone else. It's not all these memories. It's you. And you remember what you did. And you remember what happened. And you remember how guilty you were or how ashamed you are or how remorseful these things are. I know. I live with that voice in my head, too. I know. The call to be up here and be a pastor, it's hard. Right? Like this, this isn't an easy life and an easy call. And I remember how messed up I was. I didn't live a perfect Christian life out of the womb. My mom's here. She can testify to that fact. <clears throat> but the reality is, is like, I know the voice in what it says to you. I know what that feels like. I know the pressing and the crushing. I know how hard that can be. And there's somewhere along the way that we grow so exhausted and we drift so far from God that we begin to believe that the life that God describes to us in the word is not for us. Peter opens it up and says, God has given you everything in his power to walk and share in this divine nature, this good life. That that as our father who is in heaven has designed and built us to live in this way, to produce this work in our life. But, you know, you know, I think like part of it, when we start talking about all this work and all of these things that you're going to need to do in your life, it can become daunting. And it kind of feels like that God sometimes will take you and take you to the wilderness and he's going to give you some smart water and a knife and say, good luck. Good luck. Build this life. Love you. I hope it works out. I gave you a little bit of water for you. You're going to need a little bit of water for that tree later. That's not at all what happens. That God says, not only has he equipped you, but that he will be with you, that he will walk with you, that he will strengthen you, that he will empower you, that he will give you wisdom beyond human understanding to build this type of life. The question is, are you participating? It is not the kind of life where it's like, hey, mom and dad, I need a sandwich or I need a meal and I'm going to sit on the couch and you make it for me. This is what my kids are struggling with right now. I'm like, you can make a sandwich. Get up. Maybe God is talking to some of us, and I know that you feel bad, and I know that you feel ashamed, and I know that you're depressed, and I know that you're angry, and I know that you're sorrowful, and I know that you're remorseful. And so if life is a house, you're sitting on the couch, and you're just expecting God to do everything for you. But the reality is, is we're called to participate in this, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
That we're to be a part of this in the beauty of a life that we participate with and know God with is so incredible. But the reality is, is you're not in the wilderness alone right now. Even when God called Israel out of Egypt and they are in the wilderness, they are led by a pillar of fire and a cloud of presence in the middle of the wilderness. That his presence and everything that God has was with them in the middle of the storm. Do you in this room believe for just a minute, is your house strong enough that you've built spiritually to know that God is with me in this, that I'm not alone, and that what God wants to produce in my life is beautiful and good? But man, I got to get through this. I got to find my way. What does your house spiritually look like? And so here's what happens is, Peter says, look, you have everything that you need to follow a life of godliness and to share in this moment. God, by his divine power, has equipped you and given you everything you need. And not just that he dropped off a care package, but he helps us in the process, that he walks with us, that he does things that we cannot do for ourselves, that he is with you. Because here's the reality. We are meant to build a spiritual house. We are. That's what we are called to do. That that is what we are called to work with. Listen to what it says, 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 5. For this very reason. So why has God given you all of these things? Why has God equipped you and empowered you as a believer in Jesus Christ in this room to do this? For this very reason. Because of this, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. What does adding have the idea of? Building. That your life spiritually is meant to grow. It's meant to move forward. It's meant to get deeper. It's meant to move beyond just little sayings and little prayers, but that you and I are to have a deep relationship with God. Look at what he says as he continues. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, into goodness, knowledge, into knowledge, self-control, into self-control, perseverance, into perseverance, godliness, into godliness, mutual affection, into mutual affection, love. What Peter begins to describe for you and I is God has equipped you for everything that you need and he is with you to build an incredible house. But man, I'm here to tell you that that house is meant to grow. That house is meant to move forward. And as we hear these things in this room, I want you to think about faith and goodness and and perseverance and self-control and mutual affection and love. Those are rooms within the house. Those are rooms that are built within the house to build this incredible life. But how many of us know we talked about this last week? The same is true if we build a physical house or a spiritual house. God needs to be the foundation of the house. God has to be the starting point in the thing that holds up everything else in the house. And I know that like in our culture and in our society and in these moments, we are told a different story. We say, hey, make money the foundation of the home, but money is not built to uphold a life of goodness. Or how about sex? Like, hey, life is all about sex and sexual identity and all of these things but it's not meant to hold up the good life. Some of you have started to make the foundation of your life bitterness or anger or revenge or hatred. And let me just tell you something. Those things will never uphold goodness in your life. 
The only thing that can sustain and uphold goodness in our lives is God. Is God. And this is what God can do. And this is only thing that is built on him. God can sustain and uphold all of this goodness in your life. And so if he is not the foundation, I am here to tell you that your life is built on something very shaky. That your home is built in a precarious situation. Because what happens if your life is built on money and you lose the paycheck? I am under no uh, doubt at this point that we are, as a society, going to be entering a recession. And I know that that scares a lot of us. And it feels like the walls are pressing in. Have you built a spiritual house to survive a recession? I have no doubt that this is going to be one of the nastiest, ugliest election cycles that we face. You thought the last one was bad? Get ready. Is your faith built in a house that can sustain the pressing and the crushing? I don't know about you guys, but my grocery bill's up. My electric bill's up. Our insurance bills are up. I just read today that insurance companies are probably going to write out of their policies natural disasters. That's expensive. School is crazy. Life is crazy. It feels like we're being crushed, does it not, in this room? In one way or the other, is your life ready and have you built a house and designed the house with the architect of the house to persevere? Each one of these areas is this room that, that we are to build and grow this incredibly strong house. And so here's the house that we are to build. The very first is a house built on faith. Foundation of Jesus Christ and our belief is in Jesus. We believe in the creator, the founder, and the foundation of our life and our faith. We believe in that as Christians. And so here's how I want you to think. What is faith in the house? It is the framing. Faith is the framing. Faith is what like holds up everything, right? Like if you've built a house, you got to believe that the frame can hold the TV, right? You got to believe that the frame can hold the bathtub. You got to be able to believe and trust that it can even hold up the drywall. But faith is this this mechanism in this moment where you and I go, okay, this is the bones to the house. This is the bones. That we, uh, the foundation is Jesus and God. And now I'm going to trust and believe in that foundation for my goodness. And so my faith, everything is designed and built around your faith in that. Who is God to you in your life? Is he the foundation of your life? Because let me just tell you, you can start to build everything else and have faith in other things, but there is no foundation that is meant and built to sustain this world other than Jesus Christ. And so you have this faith, but then Peter says, so you have the foundation is God and then you have faith, but to your faith add goodness. Goodness. What does that mean? That, that there's a kindness and goodness in your life in the way that you built it. I would say it this way. It's the drywall that goes everywhere. Because let me just tell you, like, a house without drywall is not a nice house. It might be strong, but it ain't nice. Right? No one wants to go, oh, we're in this house. This is so nice. I'm sitting in the living room, but there's no drywall in the bathroom, and I can see you go in the bathroom. That's not a nice house. It's not a nice moment. Right? Like, we, we need some drywall up in this place. 
And so let me ask you in this room, have you added to your faith goodness? Goodness in what you think, goodness in what you do, goodness in what you believe, goodness in the way that you treat others, goodness in the way that you treat yourself, goodness in the way that you follow God. Have you added goodness to your faith? But then from there, it says that we are to go and add to goodness our knowledge. How many of us know, like, you have to know God and God has to know you? And so do you add God into your life and into this crushing? Because let me just tell you, when the crushing comes in in life, there's a lot of us that begin to doubt the goodness of God, the capability of God, the presence of God, the working of God in our life. And I'll just tell you, those things start to crack and go. The foundation is going in your life. It was not built on the unchangeable rock. And so what he says is, you and I need to add knowledge. Do you know who God is? Because let me tell you something. When you really know who God is and how God acts within our lives and the things that God does in our lives, then the crushing becomes not so bad because you know what God can do and you know what he can produce. You know how you get wine? You crush grapes. And we sing that song in church a lot, new wine. Oh God, I want new wine. You know, all that. I'm like, you, you know how wine is made. You better be careful what you're singing because you want new wine. Let me just tell you, church, there's going to be a new crushing. You don't get new wine without crushing grapes. And so are you built in this life to deal with that? Are you built, in, has your faith life been built that suffering and persecution and hard times are now not meant to devour you, but to grow you? That God will produce such an incredibly good work in your life. And I know you go, man, this is hard and this crushing is new and I can't believe what it is doing. But have you built a spiritual house of remembrance where you remember what God did every other time? And how he pulled through and how he provided and how he gave you everything that you would need in the midst of your crushing. And so we add knowledge. Let me ask you this. I hear this all of the time. Well, God wouldn't do that. And God wouldn't say that. And God wouldn't, God wouldn't act like that. And there's no way that God would do this. And I'm like, have you read this? There's a lot of that in this. But what also is in this is perseverance and endurance and grace and peace and mercy. And what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And what was meant to kill us, God used to prosper us. That's what I find a lot in this book. But it's not absent of crushing. But we see that in the crushing, God produces something so beautiful. Do you have knowledge of God that can deal with that? But not only to knowledge, when we really understand who God is and the life that God has called us to and the type of life that God wants to produce in us, do do you believe not just in knowledge, but now do you have self-control? That needs to be a part of our lives. Let me just tell you, we live in a culture that says you don't need any self-control. Just indulge, 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 indulge in your life. And for some of us in this room, life has produced some pretty nasty stuff in our life because we had zero self-control. Here's what also this means, that God has prepared you and equipped you and given you everything that you need to have self-control. 
So like the excuse of, well, I can't get over this, and I can't get past this, and I can't get all of these things. I hate to say it, but we got to take that out of our vocabulary. And maybe you can't, and maybe you've been trying to build all this stuff and do all this stuff on your own, but in Christ, you can. There's not an addiction. There's not a problem. There's not a financial obstacle. There's nothing that God cannot overcome in your life. So take that out of your vocabulary. But when we really believe and know who God is, and we know how much God really loves us, it should lead us to self-control. Right as Psalms says, Psalm 51, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. This is David talking to God. I, 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 we need self-control. We need to walk in these moments. And let me just tell you something. You will gain more self-control in your life when you realize the type of life that you're actually built for. See, some of us, the reason we don't have a lot of self-control is because we've believed the lie that we're not built for the good life. We will, That's not for me. So I have no self-control. So I just walk towards this miserable life, this crushing life. Because let me just be honest with you, how many of us, the crushing we're experiencing right now in our life is a product of our own decisions and lack of self-control? Why would you do this to me, God? And God's like, I didn't do this to you. But I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you get out of this. I've given you everything in me to get through this. I'm here. And then out of self-control, we are to live a life of perseverance, a life of enduring. Sometimes the most biblical thing that we can do is just persevere, is just survive this moment. Sometimes the crushing is not pushing against the things that are crushing you. Sometimes it is resting in the arms of God with perseverance and patiently waiting for God to overcome the enemy. There's somebody in this room. I feel it. I felt it last night too. This word is for you. You only need to persevere right now. That's what you're called to do. Persevere. Stand firm. Stand in the faith. Continue to endure. Do not give up. That is what you are called to do in this room right now, is to persevere. Persevere in your marriage. Persevere in your relationships. Persevere in your job. Persevere in raising your kids. Persevere in life. Continue to do the right thing. And you go, man, I don't feel like I'm moving forward, but at least you're not sliding back. Persevere. Because let me just tell you something. God doesn't just do the right thing. He does the right thing at the right time. And he's patient and he's good. And he's going to bring this goodness into your life. I have no doubt about it because his word tells us this is true. But don't give up. That there needs to be in your spiritual life, perseverance. Stick to itness. Some of us in this room need to spiritually dig our heels into the ground and look at the enemy and the circumstances of life right now and say, I am not moving an inch back by the power of God because my house is built on the rock that never changes. And so there's nothing that hell can bring against me that will move me. And so bring it, but I am standing in him and I am standing in his presence. And that's all he's called me to do right now. And so bring what you want. I am not moving. And so some of you in this room, you're feeling guilty. You're like, I'm not growing. I'm not doing all of these things. I'm not seeing all the freedom that I want to see. All of this, just persevere. 
persevere. You go, man, this storm is too hard. You know, um, there's this old saying, I think is a beautiful saying. It says, smooth seas never made good sailors. Some of you in this room, you are facing some crushing in your life, and all you're focused on is the crushing and not the call. Maybe the reason that you're experiencing such great crushing right now is because of the incredible work that God has called you to. And that God is using this in your life to produce a new wine, a new fruit, a new work in your life for the calling that is to come. Because here's what I realized. When you read this book and God has a high call on your life, you better believe there is crushing in the process. I always used to be this person that would look at like missionaries and people that had these incredible stories. You know, they're like, one time I was in the jungle and my plane crashed and then I got bit by this poisonous snake, but then I got healed and and then a million dollars fell out of another plane on top of me, but I survived. (laughs) You're like, oh my gosh, I want a story like that. You know what? Everyone wants a miracle until you need a miracle. Can I just be honest with you? Everyone wants that cool Jesus story until you need it. Until your bank account's overdrawn and there's no hope. So that addiction has gotten so big, it's, you thought you had it under control, it's got you under control. So that, that fighting and that not talking in your marriage and just sweeping everything under the rug, well, the rug's lifted off the floor because there's a mountain of dirt in the house now. That that lack of discipline that you give your kids because you want to be their friend and not their parent, now you've got a little tyrant on your hands. Can I, man, I got in somebody's kitchen right now. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Okay, hashtag not sorry. That maybe some people in this room, you need to start looking at the crushing that you're experiencing and start equating it with the the call that God has put on your life. And that the call and being with God is more important than the crushing. And because of the great call that God has put on my life as a believer in Jesus Christ, I can endure this in him because he is producing a good work in me. And when you don't believe it, go look at all the other people that he did it for. But not only are we supposed to have perseverance, but we're now to begin to walk into godliness. That we are to live and behave and treat people like God would. That, that we would love our enemies. That we would actually love and pray for those who what? Persecute you. That would press you. That would crush you. When the world would come in against you, the Bible says that when you walk in godliness and you have perseverance and you know the foundation that you stand on and you know the great call and hope that you have in your life, you can pray for those who hate you. And not just pray like God kill them. It's like God bless them. Yeah, I know some of you pray for your enemies. You're like, God, you've brought down lightning and sulfur. You've split seas and drowned people. Let's go. Today's the day. God's like, no, 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 no. We're going to grow you beyond that. Because I'm not making you into a person who decimates all their enemies. I'm making you into the image of my son who won all of his enemies. Who rescued his enemies. Who saved them. And that's the call of us in our life. Are you walking in godliness in your life? And then out of godliness, we are to walk in Mutual affection. That means we love, like we're kind to each other. Right? Like we, we, we are there for each other. And then out of mutual affection, we are to grow into love. 
And this is what kind of Peter is saying. You want the good life. That's what the house looks like. These are the rooms. This is how life is lived in that house. This is the kind of life that that produces, and it's a lot of work. And so when we look at this, you may be like me, where you're, you're, the work looks daunting, and you're tired. I know, because crushing and enduring. Has anyone ever been in a, a moment where you had to endure something great? You didn't have to move forward. You just had to endure. It's exhausting. Can we just be honest in this room? Like we had this... Um, deal one time when I was in high school where, you know, everyone thinks strength is how much you can lift at one time. Sometimes strength is how long you can hold something as well. And our coach would give us weights, lightweights, and we, anyone knows, like, if you hold weights out like this, it doesn't take a lot of weight for your shoulders to be. Those dogs are barking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it can become exhausting. And so what can we do when life becomes exhausting? We let the weight down. We pull our feet up. We're just tired. We need a breather, right? But how many of us know we live in Sarasota, so we all go to the beach? Anyone going to the beach this weekend? Good. I'm going. I won't see you there. Okay, so everyone's like, no, I live in Florida. I don't go to the beach. But here's what happens. When you're at the beach and your 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 blanket and your your I know you all you got blankets and umbrellas you got a cooler you got fans you got you got some spike ball ready to go I mean you, it's like you guys went like you're going cross country you're just going to the beach ten minutes away you're like I have a whole pack of water bottles I'm ready I'm like okay you're crazy all right but what happens is you get in the water where you're supposed to be right. But you get tired, you're just standing there, you get lost in a conversation, something like that. And what do you do? You let your feet up. What happens? All of a sudden, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're way down the beach. And you've lost sight of where you are. Because here's the reality, church. If you're not persevering, and you're not growing, you're drifting. And that's the reality. When we don't grow, we drift. 2 Peter 1, 8-9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, there's building again, right? He says the, the, the idea is not just that you build the house. You invest in the house. The house grows. The rooms get nicer. The rooms get better, right? Because what good is a house with a bunch of rooms that have all of these names, but there's nothing in it? You're meant to live. It's meant to grow. It's meant to move forward. So if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. How many of us know when you begin to drift from God, the voices of the past get a lot louder? You start to forget the great work that God has done in your life. You forget that he has saved you and cleansed you and healed you. And you just start to believe all of these lies. Because let me just tell you something, church. If the enemy cannot keep you from knowing God, he definitely wants to keep you from enjoying God. Because there is nothing more dangerous in the world than a joyful Christian. Who lives a spiritual life that has built their spiritual house. So here's exactly what Peter is saying. When we don't grow, we drift. 
It's like we move in life and we move down the stream and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the pressing and the crushing of life that has moved us away because we let our feet up or we let our arms down or however, whatever analogy you want and all of a sudden we're not where we should be. You know what the beauty of that is? Is God is like the home base, right? But he's going to walk down the beach with you. And while you're drifting, he's right here. I see you. When you're ready, I'm right here. I'll help you get back home. I'm walking with you. God isn't like sitting here where you're supposed to be like, man, you're way down there. Come back. No, God's just like, okay, we're walking and I'm with you. And the reality is, is as soon as you decide to put your feet back down and to plant them, he's right there. He's right there waiting for you to come home. And so when we get to this place in life, let me just tell you, when we let our feet up, you've heard me say this before, and it's totally true. We never drift towards holiness. We, we don't. We don't drift and go, man, I, got, I became more like Jesus when I was living my life the way that I wanted to live. It's crazy. I just like woke up and I just started praying for my enemies. It was weird. Crazy. No, because we drift away from God towards other things. And so let me ask you, in the pressing and the crushing, and because you're tired and your endurance is going out, or you're just tired of this, or you thought that God would do this differently, or something in your life, have you let your feet off the ground, and are you finding yourself in your present crushing because you've drifted? You've drifted. The beautiful and incredible thing about this is all you need to do is turn around. You know, we always say the enemy yells and God whispers. Why does God whisper? Because he's always near. God doesn't have to yell because he's right there. And so we need to shut down the yelling. and We need to listen to the whisper of the Lord as we begin to build and continue to grow this house. And so how do we do this? You, you need the right tools to grow. Has anyone ever in here done a project that you kind of got in over your head with? Like you're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to build a new room on my house. doesn't look that hard. I watch HGTV. And then you go to Lowe's, and you're like, well, what are you, what's the project, bud? And you're like, I'm building a new room. What do you need? I don't know. HGTV did not provide a list. All right? Or you go, and you're like, you're fixing something or building something, and you have the right screw, but that screw has a weird star key on the top of it. And you're like, I, now I need to go here. And now, hey, Lowe's, I'm back. Do you have this bit? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I got it. All right. I leave. All right. Good. You, you screw in that one screw, but now you need this special Allen key to do the next thing. I, I got to go back to Lowe's. Right. And you get there. And then finally the greeter at Lowe's goes, Hey Blake, how you doing, man? Glad to see you back here today. It's been five times. Because here's the reality. If we don't put some tools in our life to help build this house, it's going to take a lot longer and you're not going to be prepared. So how do you and I actually build this life? Well, you need the right tools. There, I think there's six tools to growing a spiritual house. You guys ready? Here they are. They're simple. Know the word and let the word know you. Know the word and let the word know you. Anyone ever read this and you forget what you read? Like you read, like I read the whole book of Second Peter today. What did it say? I don't know. I just know that I arrived to the end. <laughs> huh, cool. Anyone ever do that when you're driving? 
You're like, somehow I got home today. I don't, something happened. I might have blown every red light. I'm going to check my car to make sure I didn't hit anybody, right? Anyone ever been there? Like, How did I get here? Let me just tell you something. You don't arrive in a spiritual home by mistake because we drift away. So do you know the word and does the word know you? Do you, you read this book? Do you let it read you? Do you let it begin to talk to you and tell you what is going on? Are you in the scriptures? Look, if we're going to build a spiritual house, we better talk to the architect. Right? There's no point in just us winging it and eyeballing and going, I think this room is supposed to be this big and I think it's supposed to be like that. Are you talking to the architect of your soul? How do we talk to the architect? We pray. So we know the word, we read the word, and we let the word know us, and we pray to God. We talk to the architect. We know what is going on. Another important aspect of building a spiritual home is one of generosity. Are you generous in your life with your time, your talent, your treasure? Are you generous in the way that you speak to people? Are you generous in the way that you forgive people? Are you generous in life because we see that God is abundantly generous? Generosity builds within us and helps us deal with one of the biggest issues that will hurt us in our building of a spiritual home. Money is not evil. I hope you have a lot of it. I hope you have a ton of it, but I hope that you have it and it doesn't have you. Money is incredible. But, but let me just tell you like in this moment, this isn't just about money. Why are we generous with our money as believers? We're called to, but what else does generosity do for us? It frees us from the love of money, right? It frees us. It begins to let us go, man, this is an incredible tool in my life, but this doesn't own my life because it's not the foundation of my life. Jesus Christ is. So this doesn't own me and be wise and save and do all of these things so that you can be more generous. I'm all about it. Made a million bucks this year. Go make two next year. Go make five. I don't, whatever. Be generous with your life. If you're going to grow and build a spiritual house, you've got to get together with the family. Are you in community? Are you in community with God? Are you in community with other believers in this room? Why do you, like, we, we are hosting next week. We have a big cookout. We're providing the main. You guys are supposed to bring the sides. Please do. But then after that, we're having a big small groups fair where you can meet all of the small group leaders in our church. You can hear what they are doing. Why do we do this? Do we like to host events? I hate events, guys. I hate them. I hate events. I like this. I like being up here. But you're like, oh, we're having Super Soaker Sunday. I'm like, oh, man, here we go. <laughs> Tara's good at it. I'm not. But here's the deal. We're not just hosting an event next week because we love to host events. We're hosting an event next week so you can get involved with the family. So you can know others and be known by others. Not only that, but if you want to grow spiritually, you're going to need to get reminders. How do you get reminders spiritually? You fast. Fasting is a spiritual reminder. Fasting is when we remove something physically in our life so that we can be drawn to the spiritual. Is fasting a regular part of your life? You say, well, Pastor Blake, I have some medical stuff. I can't fast food. Thanks be to God that he didn't say that was the only way. I mean, maybe you, you might like fast ice cream just at night. And when you want that ice cream, you think about God. Or maybe you're going to fast Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. In fact, I, I gave this advice a little while ago. If you want to really grow your spiritual life, take whatever app you're addicted to 
and just take your Bible app and put it in the place of where that other app is. Because anybody in here ever been in a place where you're like on your phone and you do this and you're all of a sudden on Instagram? No, how did I get here? You're all of a sudden on Facebook? You're all of a sudden on TikTok? You're all of a sudden on YouTube? How did I get here? What if we replaced the things that drew our flesh and we took things that fed our soul and we just swapped places? Then all of a sudden you'll be like, how did I get in the Bible? I didn't even know I had a Bible app. <clears throat> this is cool, right? Replace. Get reminders fast. This is probably a hard one for a lot of us. I know it is. Silence. Some of us just need to stop talking. I mean that. You cannot listen when you are talking. If we want to grow spiritually, silence needs to be a part of our life. I know that as Americans, we're told we have to do something all of the time. Sometimes just being there and being quiet and listening to God is the thing that we need to do. Do you have a practice of silence in your spiritual life? Are you listening to the architect? When I pray, this is a new thing that I implemented about uh, six months ago, is I pray, I give adoration to who God is. I I tell him all of these things. I, I love him. And then right after I get done doing that, I say this. Speak, Holy Spirit. Speak. And I just close my mouth. And I just try to listen for four, five, 10, 15 minutes. It varies each time. But I just allow God to speak first. How many of us would walk into the President of the United States office and go, oh, let me tell you everything that I need to tell you, and then I got to go? Some of you don't like the President of the United States, so pick whoever you like that you would listen to, okay? <laughs> Something like, I would tell him something, right? Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. But any person of honor, would you just walk in and start running and just saying everything that you need to say? And then when you're done, you'd say, peace, bye, thanks. No, I think we would, a lot of us would say, I respect you a ton. And we would probably have one or two questions, but let them speak. Same thing with God. Not only that, we need to have silence, but we need to serve. And here's why. I believe that every person in here is gifted with spiritual gifts and that those gifts are meant to be used in the kingdom of God. And when we don't, we will have spiritual atrophy. Are you using your gifts in this life? Are you serving? Because here's the reality. When life gets so hard, when everything is so difficult... When life crushes in, we run to God. And we have to have a spiritual house that is built for this. We don't want to get into a crisis and go, where's the bomb shelter? We want to have that built so that when the storm comes, we're ready and we go right where we need to be. Listen to what Proverbs 18.10 says. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Have you built a spiritual life that you can run to God and be safe in his presence? I know that life is crushing in on you right now. I know that it is hard. I know that you are going through all of these things, but have you begun to build a spiritual house that is able to endure these things? And here's what can be overwhelming, and I want to end with this. What can be overwhelming, you say, that's a lot of stuff. I know, so just start with one. Does your prayer life need to change? Do you, do you need to get into the scriptures? Do you need to persevere? What, what is it? 
All of these things are present in our life, but I know that it can feel overwhelming. So let's just start with one. How is every journey, you know, started? With the first step. You just got to take the first right step. That's it. And in this room, what's the next right step for you? 